Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Distraction Pieces Podcast, episode 195. We're getting close to, to 200, aren't we? People keep asking me if I'm doing anything special for 200. And I went to get some big names, and then I decided that that's not really what we do here. It's about everyone. It's about every episode. So... At one point, there was going to be a huge name on episode 201, and that was intentional because I just didn't want him to be on episode 200. But yeah, I'm moving things around and working things. Trust me, in the next year, I've got three guests lined up. Um, One is one of the previously most downloaded. One hasn't been on, but will probably be the biggest guest I've had on. Um, So yeah, trust me, there's loads to come, but I'm thinking... It's basically us having to hold off to get a specific one on the 200th episode. But in this last week, I've recorded seven podcasts in six days. So I'm recorded up until like June. So, and there's others that I have to record that need to go out on certain dates to help people promote gigs or films. So yeah, it's complicated. Speaking of which, next week's episode is a hardcore listing first birthday special. Um, so Hardcore Listing is a podcast on the network, which I'm a fan of. It's top fives. And I thought as it's their first birthday, I'd invite Chris and Stu onto Distraction Pieces to do a top five. And we recorded it last week. And I chose top five songs that make me cry. And they had to pick their top five. And honestly, we were genuinely struggling to talk. There's n- numerous points that we had to stop because we were cr- crying too much. So it's it's a weird one, but it's a, I'm really proud of it, so I'm pleased. So yeah, anyway, that's to come. But this week's guest, good Lord, it's a good one. I was really lucky to get to to sit down with Patrice Kalurs, who's one of the the co-starters or co-founders of Black Lives Matter. It's mad I got an hour with her. Just to put it in perspective, the people that she was talking to before me were... BBC Breakfast on TV and um, and Women's Hour on Radio 4, which is one, is one of the biggest radio shows in the UK, and then was was Little Old Me. And then there was another, um, I think, an ITV thing at the, at the South Bank after that. So it's mental that my little podcast <laughs> is sneaking in with the, the bigwigs, but I ain't, I ain't saying shit. I'm keeping it quiet, just sneaking in under the radar. But... Um, it was an amazing chat, and she was an amazing a woman. Um, this is for people who support Black Lives Matter, but it's also for people who are confused by it, for people who maybe want to argue that all lives matter. I'll explain why that is a ridiculous st- statement with the greatest of respect. So, yeah, it's really I'm really pleased with this chat. Obviously, I need to mention that this week's podcast is brought to you by SpeechVelomentRecords.com. That's my website and my record label where you can buy. I mentioned, uh, we mentioned B. Dolan in this, who did a song called Film the Police around the time of some of the shootings that were going on in America. Um, And it was a huge one. It was a rewrite of Fuck the Police by NWA and turning it into Film the Police. And B. Dolan's on the label is why I mentioned that. We've got his his records in stock. We've got some T-shirts, I think. Um, A load of stuff. But we've also got podcast merch. I've talked a few on a few recent podcasts. On, on next week's one, I talked to the Hardcore Listing Boys about Patreon. On last week's, I talked to Steve McNeil about Patreon. I don't do Patreon. I, I, I like to earn from the sponsorship. So you guys primarily 
again, I'm, I'm not against Patreon at all. That's why we talk about it in great detail on other podcasts, because it's right for certain ones and not right for others. I like that you guys at the core can have the podcast completely free. Sponsors are covering that. I'm not going to go bankrupt. It's fine. But I do kind of say, if you listen every week and you're getting, you know, an hour's entertainment every week for free, I've been doing this, I've not missed a week for over three years now, then you might you might want to sling some money on some merch and support. That would be cool. But you don't have to. But you can go to speechdevelopmentrecords.com if you so choose. So back to this week's podcast. It's a, a cracking one. Um, Patrice Clouse has a new book out called When They Call You a Terrorist, a Black Lives Matter memoir. And it's a fascinating book. It's really the story of her life. It punctuates a lot of the point along the way with some of the incidents that you'll... associate with black lives matter so it's kind of it's telling her life but then a referencing stuff that happened down the line that caused her to start this movement it also talks about what's ahead it's it, it, she talks about the issue of of policing the movement of making sure that the right action is taken and the action is taken that represents those involved fairly and accurately um it's a special one if you like this podcast if this is your first time listening i'd recommend you check out the killer mike episode from ages ago because i talked to killer mike kind of in the midst of all this stuff happening and black lives matter just starting to become a movement and and he was incredibly informative and intelligent on that i've also had a great a refugee special about a young lady called ramel who was a refugee in the uk from the democratic republic of congo and that's a really powerful a powerful episode because it shows the 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 restrictions that are put on people and what can be done when those restrictions are lifted and the bias put upon certain people so th- 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 that's an interesting one but also in this week of recording tons of podcasts the day after i recorded this i recorded another podcast that's that's one of my favorite today so these two today's and this one that's it's not gonna be out for a few weeks but it's a special one, um, and that that one coming up, I think it's it's going to be out beginning of April, is with a lady called Alexis Okawo. Okawo. Oh, oh, I kept saying her name wrong. Um, anyway, Alexis Okawo, um, and she's a journalist who's written an amazing book called A Moonless Starless Sky, um, and it's about kind of regular people in africa fighting extremism day to day um and it's amazing the podcast was we just she was such a warm and comfortable talker as was a patricia's uh, as you'll hear now there's obviously the name of the book suggests that there's a taboo around black lives matter that it's very um militant and overly left and overly sensitive and overly screaming down the opposition not at all she was one of the most warm open to debate and discussion i like that we take the conversation from the black panthers to black panther um and and the importance of both over the years so yeah it's a really good chat and i'm really pleased with it i'll be back at the end to round things up um i've got a future podcast. I've got Alan Hughes and, and Jimmy Iovine on. Um, Alan Hughes is the director of the Defiant Ones 
documentary that's coming to Netflix um, in a few days as this one comes out, actually. Uh, and it's fantastic. It's about a, a Jimmy Iovine and Dr. Dre. And Jimmy worked with Springsteen, L- Lennon, Patti Smith, Tom Petty, and then started Interscope and signed Dre, Tupac, Snoop, um, Eminem, Marilyn Manson, Nine Inch Nails, no doubt. It's insane. Um, And Alan Hughes directed the Defiant Ones documentary, but he also directed Menace to Society, which is one of my favourite films and came at that period kind of so in... In 91, when there was the the Rodney King beatings, and then 92, the riots that broke out as a reaction to that, and it kind of spawned NWO, and then there was all this 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 spotlight on on areas that hadn't had a spotlight before, and it was around that time that the Boys in the Hood came out, around 94, 95, so a few years later, the Boys in the Hood and Menace to Society, and previously uh, Do the Right Thing, all these amazing documentations of, 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 of a culture that we, that had been voiceless for a long while so that's a cool one coming up um as said the alexis akowo one is amazing i've got charlotte hatherley coming up i've got cedric bixler zavala jamali maddox who's done an amazing series called hate their neighbor where he goes around kind of louis through style and talks to a lot of um weird kind of right and left extremists so yeah check that out and they're all coming soon but now this is episode 195 of the Distraction Pieces podcast with Patrice Kalouz, the co-founder of Black Lives Matter. Um, I'm joined today by Patrice Kalouz. How are you today? I'm doing great. Are you looking after yourself in this insane run of media and press and promotion? I'm doing much better. I think this time around, I've learned that I need to drink water. I need to eat and get as much sleep as I possibly can. Uh, I think when Black Lives Matter first started and people started to uh, have me go around the world and meet new folks and talk about the movement... I didn't do a very good job at taking care of myself. Yeah, yeah, and this key—I mean, it's—it's it's something I had noted as, as 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 my last question. But as I arrived and was hearing of the schedule you, 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 you're on, it is an important one because when you dedicate you, you, your life, and I want to get into your early life and everything that led to Black Light, Our Lives Matter, as, as as well as obviously the movement itself. But when you dedicate yourself to something that is so important, it's really hard to make sure you're looking after yourself yeah. rather than the sole focus being well the cause because the cause is grander than any individual yes but that's to the world to, to your world what has to be important is you as well so exactly. how have you found balancing that over the years is that as something you've had to learn to do or i haven't found balance and to be quite frank i don't know if you can i, I kind of see this position that I am in as the people soldier. I've, uh, you know, some people decide to join the military, I decided to join the movement. And yeah. so in some ways, my duties are to be a messenger for this movement, uh, to go across the globe if I need to, and to drop stuff if I need to, to show up for this. Yeah. But 
what I think I can do and what I'm trying to do now is, okay, this is my life. So when I am traveling and doing a bunch of stuff, what are the things that I need to do to keep myself healthy? Yeah. yeah. And it's challenging, right? Because if things were better in the world, I wouldn't have to work this hard. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) So it's hard to assess um, how much I should be doing or shouldn't be doing. Uh, But what becomes really clear is what I'm focused on. Yeah. And when I'm focused on um, a particular mission or movement, then I put my all into that and I try my best to um, when I have my days off and my time off, spend it with my family, yeah. you know, friends. Uh, but it's it's hard. Like I don't I don't know if I believe that there's a such thing as work life balance um, when you're in this work. I think you could do the best that you can do to make sure that you're healthy while you're doing it. Yeah, yeah. And and and, and what do you do to switch off in those in those downtime moments? Is it in, as you said, engaging with family and friends? Is there is there films or music or things like that that are your kind of escape? Yes. Believe it or not, I'm going to say it on this podcast, but I watch the Kardashians. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. <laughs> I've been watching them for 14 years, so almost half of my life. Yeah. I've been on, can you believe they've been on air for 14 years? That's so mad, isn't it? It's wild. And they've, I mean, I we can have a whole other podcast conversation about the Kardashians. I have like a social political analysis about them and their amazing and their growth but um i watch them i watch them uh, i obviously watch anything that shonda rhimes does yeah yeah shonda rhimes and i i spend time with my family i do i i, I tickle my little kid who's two years old amazing and i i spend time with my partner um and i i you know call friends i'm in town for a couple of days like let's hang out let's do something Exactly. Like, let's play and laugh and hang out. And so I'm much better now because before I think I would rip and run, make myself exhausted on these trips, go home and just be completely depleted. And yeah. Not there for anybody. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's key because I think something that's key to your story is the moment of realization that what you are taught that the world is as a child isn't an easy thing to realize that there's difference outside of that. Yes. So having a two-year-old that, that you need to let know that the world can be this positive place and there are these opportunities. You obviously, you grew up in Los Angeles and it was in, in very much an, an area that, that wasn't really for, 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 for settling as such. It was people, you know, moving in and out. So there was, it's hard to get an idea of community, I guess, exactly. in that kind of situation. A lot of people on the breadline, doing what they can to pay the rent and then, you know, moving on and moving out. And that's kind of all you know at that point, right? That's absolutely right. You know, the neighborhood I grew up in, I didn't realize it until I got older Mm. that they pushed us out of that neighborhood. Police pushed us out of that neighborhood. Um, And when I go back, there's nobody that I grew up with that still lives there. Wow. Everybody has been gentrified out of that neighborhood. It's a completely different place. Yeah. And I remember talking to somebody about that. And they had said, you know, that part of the book really stood out for them because they they were like, you know, I get to go back to my childhood home, yeah. my childhood neighborhood and see everybody there. 
that yeah. I grew up with. You know, my parents still own the home. And I said, yeah, that's not, it's not how my life was. You know, yeah. it was, we knew that where we lived wasn't going to be for the long haul. Yeah. Right? We could be moved and shipped around and gentrified out and pushed out by police. Uh, and I think that changes you. It changes how you understand your place. Yeah. Yeah, completely. And, and, and even on the, on the, on the point of jobs, the, the fact that careers as such in those situations aren't something that you're kind of aware of as a, as a thing, as a goal. You're generally, exactly. you're working to pay the rent, right? Exactly. So you, uh, from, a, I think a positive upbringing for kids is to think there's, there's a career ahead, yeah. whether that career is, is, is running a shop. Totally. Or running a charity, exactly. or, or or being a film star, or being a Kardashian, mm-hmm. you know, any of these things. But if all you ever know is no, you work to pay to live here, mm-hmm. and then when we can't do that, we move somewhere else. Mm-hmm. You don't ever get to see that there's a world outside of that yeah. circle, which can't be a positive way to 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 grow up, or it must be a tough way to grow up. I think it is, and and you. And you wouldn't know any better. And I didn't know any better until I entered a new world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Until I entered a world that wasn't my own. And, um, and then I, and then I lived in, in really two different worlds. I lived in a mostly white middle class world where I was shipped off to go to school. Yeah. And I lived in my community where it was completely neglected and, yeah. and over policed. And what became interesting going back and forth to each neighborhood as I saw exactly what you're saying, which is whole groups of children being groomed to have careers. Yeah. And then I, I remember, I remember thinking, Oh, I want that. You know, I, I want to think about what I'm going to do when I grow up. And as I, as I got older and started going to school and, you know, I, I, I really, for my college years, I paid for my own college and, you know, got scholarships and loans and, and worked and I remember my mother saying, and, and and bless her, she wasn't trying to belittle me or she just didn't have a context, but she was like, why are you working so hard and going to school? Like, just go to work. Like, you don't, yeah. why school? Yeah. yeah. And just this totally different understanding of yeah. what's possible. Yeah. That's, it's, 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 it's intriguing and amazing. I mean, the, the start in, and again, your book is very much... It's a memoir leading into the intrinsic parts of Black Lives Matters, but I, it really struck me that so much in your upbringing, these key influences and these key things that you're exposed to, I guess, the fact that um, in your neighbourhood, you some of the people that were doing neighbourhood engagement, some of the rare were Black Panthers and were the the, the early activist influence in your life, I guess. So, was that something that? you realized at the time was inspiring or was, was a key thing or was that just, Oh, they're the guys that kind of try and help out in the community. And yeah, I think it was a breakfast for children. I noted yeah. down, which again, that's a, that's a great positive influence, particularly as history went on for a certain amount of time to demonize the black Panthers yes. and to paint them, Again, as similarly as Black Lives Matters has had as some kind of terrorist exactly. or some kind of threat, which it all mirrors what came ahead. Yeah. Well, what's so interesting about the free breakfast program, um, you're just a child. And so you're doing what 
you do. You know, there's no sort of explanation that, hey, this was the panther that helped you yeah. be able to eat, you know, uh, breakfast and lunch. But I remember that those meals sometimes were the only meals that we had yeah. as kids. Um, and so when I would come to learn later in my life that the panthers really created that foundation, I was so intrigued about activism and organizing because what up until that point that had been taught to me is that organizers or activists, because I didn't even know the term organizer yet, were just protesting, Um, that the Panthers Party in particular were an armed, you know, organization. And it was so surfaced and so superficial that I couldn't even get a full grasp on what it even meant to have the Panther Party. And so my politicization becomes really critical because I learn uh, by the time, you know, I'm 1920 and I joined my first civil rights organization called the Bus Riders Union, I would learn that, oh, I I can become an organizer as a career. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that could be an actual thing that that you dedicate your life to yes. and your time to. And it's yes. for not only the betterment of yourself and what, again, you, you would have been brought up of you just work to pay the bills, but for the betterment of your society, of, 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 of a, a broader and wider society. Yes. That's, that's absolutely right. And um, that, be, that becomes at the center of really my life, yeah. um, organizing activism. And the moment I realized that this is, this is what I've been wanting to do, and now, now I can do it. Yeah. What, what role did the, the police have when you were growing up? Because something that strikes me, with Black Lives Matter in particular, is it's it's highlighting. It seemed to the outside world, oh look at all the the horrible stuff that's suddenly happening. But from your book and just from looking through history, there wasn't this sudden new a wave of police violence against mm-hmm. black community. There was a sudden documentation exactly. of police violence, and it, it it echoes to me uh, the Rodney King beating, which which you would have been you know, around eight or nine for, I think, in LA at that yes, time. exactly. That happened, and but almost to the exact things, the acquittal and all the other things, mirrors the 64 riots mm-hmm. in LA. It's just, at that point, the Rodney King beating was caught on this new thing called a camcorder. Exactly. And now we all happen to have camcorders in our pockets exactly. every day. Exactly. So, um, so how were the police in... in seen in your community and seen as as part of your society i mean you know this is such a good point because up until black lives matter in a lot of ways i think white people thought black people were being hyperbolic yeah yeah that we were um exaggerating Mm -hmm. and that um if we just you know, did less crimes, if we just were more cooperative, we wouldn't have so many negative experiences with law enforcement. Or I think some white people just thought we were lying. Yeah. And what the cell phone camera does and what our movement does is actually, unfortunately and fortunately, brings this uh, truth, this this truth that black folks had to light around the impact policing had on us. And so in my neighborhood, the police were terrifying. We were terrified of law enforcement, all of us, you know, from my mother 
to my grandmother, to myself, to my um, siblings, to our neighbors. I mean, nobody was interested in the police coming into our neighborhood. Yeah, yeah. And yet we also wanted to feel safe, right? Of course. Um, and we also wanted to feel like our, we could be protected. But I remember being in the car and, and my mother saying, the police are behind us, don't look back, you don't want to attract attention. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I remember watching my brothers be lined up against the alleyway and, and, and stop and frisk. And at this point, these are young boys, all under 14 years old, mm-hmm. being humiliated, you know, being forced to take out, take, you know, lift their shirts up. And, and obviously all this is illegal. Yeah. Right. This yeah. is illegal. And we don't know our rights. Of course. And so every single day we are being poked, prodded. Uh, we are being terrorized. Yeah. And in Los Angeles, we use helicopters Yeah. for policing. So it's not just the patrol car that's circling the block every hour on the hour. It's also the helicopter that's in the sky. And it's almost like an intimidating factor, right? I remember some days wondering, there doesn't seem to be anything happening around here. So why is the helicopter police hovering over our apartment building? And I would have come to find out, right? Just because of documentation and, and politicization that, oh yeah, this was purposeful. This way of police repression and uh, creating a hostile environment for a community became uh, a part of their tactics. Yeah, yeah, of course. And the, the thing that struck me the most when a, a reading about that kind of thing from your childhood in, in the book was how, at the time, how run-of-the-mill it was. Like, how run-of-the-mill. It was that that you don't know that something is... If that's all you know, you don't yes. know that it's wrong, that, that you would see your brothers be frisked in an alleyway as... 12, 13, 14 year old kids yes. and then just come in the house, have dinner. It wouldn't even be a disgusting. It wouldn't be a, this has happened. This yeah. is outrageous. That was just at that point, all you knew. So you can see what, why there would be a fractured relationship yes. with, with authority in, 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 in those blue uniforms as such. Exactly. Absolutely. So, so, so through your own drive and, and, and intelligence and wish to get out of, or, or, or reach beyond your neighbourhood. As you touched upon, you you got to go to a school in in a largely white, a richer neighbourhood, mm-hmm. and this was one of the most interesting conflicts and 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 weird situations in the book because you would think that the way you had been taught in your poor black neighbourhood would possibly have a negative effect on when when you're then in your more well-off white neighborhood but the real issue kind of came when you returned Mm -hmm. and what the way you were treated in your the posh white school had a negative effect on your actions in the black school and the explanation just being quite quick and brief (laughs) with it is in the white school you smoke some weed every now and then this Mm -hmm. was a thing this wasn't a big deal And then when you went back to your poorer black school, you were frisked on the door. You were searched. There was security. Mm-hmm. And that's why you got, you know, arrested at the age of 12 yeah. or, or, or however old. And yeah. it's that weird thing of it's that's that's a direct example and proof that it's 
completely down to how people are treated exactly. based on their skin colour rather than their actions. Yes. The argument, as you said earlier, that, well, <laughs> if you're breaking the law, then you get... It's like, no, you were doing exactly the same as you were doing yes. in the white neighbourhood. Except I was criminalised for it. Yeah. No, that's that's absolutely right. And, and it, you know, children behave the way they... Children will behave how they behave and based off of the consequences, they will either stop or they, or, you know, or they, they'll continue doing what they're doing. But for me, you know, I was in this white school. The first people that introduced me to weed was white, white girls. Yeah. And I smoked weed with them and I, I made it a, a, a terrible assumption that I could do the same <laughs> At the school, my neighborhood school. Completely. And when I went to summer school, I smoked some weed in the bathroom, like I had done at my own school. And I mean, I don't even know how these police officers found found out. I don't know how the school found out. I think someone might have told. Um, And the next thing I know, I'm in the classroom and a cop shows up, whispers in the teacher's ear, they call me to the front of class. They handcuff me, walk me down the hallway to the principal's office, search my bags, ask me if I have weed. That they, you know, they heard that I've been smoking weed. Blah, blah, blah. And I never did that again. But so it, something else happened for me, which was, oh, this is why my brothers have been criminalized. Yeah, yeah. This is this is the environment they've been in that I haven't been in. Yeah, and that was illuminating yeah completely and and again i mean not to go too deep into the the drug side of things i've got two different podcasts on my network and one of them is say why to drugs and it's just it's a doctor talking about the realities of drugs mm-hmm. and one of them is a leap uk podcast which is, is law enforcement against prohibition but the fact is that again it, i think it was a, a, a stat that you had in the book that's 75 percent of drug users don't develop an addiction mm-hmm. and so to criminalize is a dangerous and scary thing but part of the criminalization is particularly in america down to the prisons system and that's that's something you talk about a fair bit in the book and yeah. have have had a lot of experience with with your birth father going in and out of prison and that having a big impact on your life and your brother going into prison and and, and being criminalized and arrested so what was the atmosphere of or or the outlook of of prison in your upbringing it's kind of in a lot of those communities and areas almost seen as an inevitability Mm -hmm. to a great percentage of people that you're going to end up in prison at some point and in america in particular it's 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 slave labor it's Mm -hmm. it's a system that is used to 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 help companies and productivity and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. That's absolutely right. And my neighborhood, it was, it was just the assumption that most folks were going to end up in jail, maybe not spend the rest of the time there, but spend a bit of time there that that most folks were going to end up being arrested. Um, I think by the time I was 14 years old, almost every young boy in my neighborhood had went, spent some time in juvenile hall. Yeah. Uh, Had been criminalized somehow some way, and I was navigating what it meant to live in two different neighborhoods and yeah. uh, what my role was and and going to this white school and coming back to this you know poor working class um, neighborhood of color and so that 
that just becomes an interesting moment. And prisons and jails um, become the backdrop. Yeah. They become the place where I go visit on the weekends to see my brother. Uh, they are the place where I go visit my father, uh, my, my friends. I've been to so many jails and prisons. They're the, they're the, um, you know, the writing letters to a loved one inside jails or prison becomes um, the norm, uh, creating uh, fundraisers for people who have gone to prison so that they could get commissary. I mean, it literally becomes a backdrop to my childhood, my young adult life, and now my adult life. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's, it's amazing as well because there's so many uh, uh, layers kind of touched upon and explained on on the impact of prison, there is the actual act of being in prison and, again, the horrendous treatment that your brother suffered and many people suffered. But then equally what isn't often thought about is the fact that, particularly at that point, even most low-level low jobs wouldn't employ someone who's yeah. been to prison. So even yeah. if you've only had this brief time in prison, and that could be a life sentence as yeah. such because it could mean yeah. you never get the chance to get the jobs to to move on, to develop. Yeah, and this is important because you're not just locked out of jobs, you're locked out of pretty much almost every resource that could allow you to, to live a viable life. Yeah, yeah. You're locked out of housing, you're locked out of employment, you're locked out of uh, getting being able to get scholarships to go to school. Yeah. Um, everything, you're, you're sometimes locked out of voting. Mm. So what becomes prison sentence also becomes um, a, a, a sentence in which you're locked out of the very resources yeah. um, that could allow for your and your family's survival. Yeah. So adding that to what we've previously discussed of the fact that you grow up in a society where you're generally seen that you, there's a good likelihood you're going to end up in prison. What hope is there to strive forward if if you're if if so early on you're kind of told in so many ways from so many angles this is your life you're going to exist here and then you're going to die and that's it there's no impact there's no change you know <laughs> of course it's a it's a, it's important you know at sometimes I think organizers are half crazy because we're doing the type of work that's really an uphill battle yeah. And uh, there are moments like November 8th when a 45 comes in the office, right? Or even I would talk about this country here in the UK, moments like when a Brexit happens. Yeah, yeah. When you're like, I cannot believe I'm living in this moment. Mm. Are we, have we all gone mad? Yeah. And, and then I sort of pick myself up and realize, yes, there is a part of the population that is mad, but there's another population <laughs> that is willing to fight. And there's another population that just needs to be organized into the fight. And so I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful because Black Lives Matter created the opportunity for a new generation of black leadership. Yeah. A new generation of black leadership and our allies to shape the world differently. It is a, it's, it's a humanizing project. It's also a project that's deeply steeped in, in the tradition of black radical imagination. Yeah. Right, this Black Lives Matter is challenging us to imagine a different world for Black people, not just in the U.S. but across the globe. And it makes me think of of what's happening here in the United Kingdom. You know, I go a lot of different places, and 
we often talk about the U.S., which makes sense. But I, I, I'm, I'm, it's important for me to, that I know what's happening to Black people and all the places that I go to. And I know that sure. here, Black folks have, di- have been dying in police custody yeah. um, for, for decades. I know that there's been you know, up to 1,649 deaths in custody and zero convictions. And, mm. um, and I know that Black you know, youth are being excluded from schools um, similar to how black students in the States are being tracked um, through the school to prison pipeline. And so as I start to zoom in from, from nation to nation, I realize that wherever black people are, anti-black racism exists. Yeah, yeah. And wherever black people are, we're suffering, we're suffering. And so this movement um, was developed to not just talk about black Americans. Yeah. Um, and I, and I, you know, I, I challenge Black Americans often because I think we think that our struggles are the most important. <laughs> um, they're not. Um, this is a we're part of a global fight. Yeah, we're part of a Black diaspora, and 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 that to me is is honorable, and that yeah. to me is is powerful. That I know that I can go to any city across the world and meet up with black folks and say black lives matter. And they know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. It's almost like what Wakanda has done for all of us. Yeah, completely. <laughs> and so it's the, it's this, um, it's, we, we have this language now where we, when we say black lives matter, black folks know, yes, they might not be politicized, yeah. you know, but they know, Oh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. How, how, I mean, let's, let's go off on a, a brief tangent there with that. Cause I think, how how important do you think it is to have these topics also being discussed and tackled in 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 art and culture in 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 films in tv because there is a certain amount of people who will join the fight and be on the on the front line or uh, watch a documentary or or listen to a speech about these things but there's a lot more people who will go and watch a marvel film yes and the thing that struck me i kind of i was I, I didn't speak out on it because as, as a white male, mm-hmm. it's a tough one, but I was getting frustrated mm-hmm. in some of the lead up to Black Panther because people were talking a lot. And I, I understand it about having a black inspirational f- figure like that. And my thought was, well, you know, Martin Luther King was pretty inspirational. And the, there was a lot, there's been, there's been a lot of real life inspirational yes. figures. But yeah. the thing that struck me when I went to see Black Panther was something that hadn't crossed my mind was, I grew up in a, a place called Thurrock, which has been a stronghold in the past for y- UKIP and a lot of kind of quite right-leaning mm. um, political parties. And what I saw at the end of Black Panther, when there was beautiful African music playing, mm. was young white kids dancing along mm-hmm. to that African music. Mm. And that hadn't struck me, the mm. importance of white children mm. having black figures as inspirational mm. figures as well. Because again, it's, it's, it's something that I felt most black people I've ever known have always been taught about Martin Luther yeah, King yeah. and Nelson Mandela yeah. and, and these amazing, yeah. these amazing forces, but not necessarily all the white kids yeah. I knew were taught about that. And that's the bit that caught me off guard. I was like, yeah. Oh shit, that is important. Yeah. That is that, that makes it even more important because yeah. the race battle the race problem is primarily a white problem yes. in so it's going to take a solution from people of all all colors and genders and that's what's what's what struck me in the black panther thing to kind of go oh that's that's important to have that the to normalize the idea of black heroes 
for white kids mm-hmm. as much as it is to normalize it for black kids and all sorts absolutely, of Absolutely, absolutely. And that's so important because um, we all have the idea of who the superheroes are, right? Batman, Superman, yeah, and uh, X-Men, and, and largely they're white. Yeah. And so white folks get to have the fantasy world and they get to have the real world. Yeah, yeah. And I think what became important about the Black Panther is that black folks, of course, we have our real-life superheroes. I think we acknowledge that. But we don't have fantasy superheroes. Yeah. And um, Wakanda is really, you know, superior. Yeah. And there's this way in which in your entire life you're being told that you're shit and that your family is shit and your community is shit. You're not going to amount to anything and that maybe one of you will make it, you know. And uh, and then you see this, you know, fantasy world that is just so not fantasy. It's what, and, and especially in this time where we're living in a country, in a world that is dominated by white nationalism, mm-hmm. Wakanda becomes a balm. Yeah. It becomes a, a, a place of refuge. Yeah. Almost. And... Um, and the signature, you know, the crossed arms uh, uh, across the chest becomes this almost like the back power fist. Yeah, completely. And it's um, it's really amazing to witness. Yeah, and 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 the depth in there as well. The simple level of just wow, a look at this empowering movie. To the level of, I honestly, I I I find more and more in there that more and more hidden symbolism mm-hmm. that is amazingly intricate. The fact that, and the simple one to come to mind that only occurred to me ages after was the last big fight scene takes place on an underground railroad. railroad. (laughs) You know, this is, this is, this is the, the, the place of so much bloodshed and, and, and death of, of, of slaves and of slavery. You know, there's so much in there. That's, that's, that's an empowering. And that's all we have to give it up to Ryan Coogler. Yeah. You know, young black brother from Oakland, California, who, was raised with, um, you know, learning about the Panther Party, who, whose first feature film was about Oscar Grant and yeah. Fruitvale Station. Um, he's done really right by us as a community, and I yeah. think he took his time. I remember talking to him while he was filming Black Panther. He was stressed out as hell. He yeah. was nervous, you know. He was given this all this money from a big studio. Yeah. Uh, and he delivered. He delivered, and he came through, and... Um, you know, obviously he had an entire team, but he was very particular. You yeah. could see the detail, the detail to, to each and every character and uh, delivery and, and the imagery that he wanted. I mean, it was just so gorgeous. Yeah, it looked amazing. It yeah. was, yeah, a wonderful thing. And it, it makes me excited with that and with how great Straight Out of Compton was. And yes. like, because, again, I grew up on on Menace to Society, on Boys in the Hood, on Do the Right Thing. And that was kind of an area that died off. And it's exciting now that we could see someone tell the story of the LA riots for the first time in a Mm -hmm. film, but written by young black people who lived through that, rather than by someone who's looking on and going, you know, likely a white executive going, I'm going to write this amazing thing about the black (laughs) cult. No, it can be completely drawn from reality and experience. Oh, there's which a is black re- renaissance happening right now. 100%. In, in the culture. And, and I, you know, I, 
I don't personally take credit for it, but I think Black Lives Matter has contributed to the ability yeah. for a black renaissance to actually be popular. It's, it's, it, it's pushed a hell of a conversation to the forefront. And we'll get on to part of that conversation because it's a conflicted one. But so the Black Lives Matter, the, the, the hashtag was first used by you when George Zimmerman was, was, was acquitted of the Trayvon Martin um, murder. And at first it was just a hashtag and a tweet and then it gradually moved into becoming a movement. How was that as a realisation for you in the moment to be expressing your fury and rage and disgust? And again, it was something that I remember seeing the the track that most deaf did about it and 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 yeah. and b dolan and people like that doing f- f- film the police and stuff like that from this side of the pond rap and hip-hop and and, and so many different areas of black culture seem to be the ones that were going we're reporting this There's, yes. you can't ignore this yes. this isn't ignorable anymore yeah. this can't be a chosen or or rejected story yeah. this is this is being discussed so how was that to start with a hashtag essentially yeah. and then to, to see it to, grow and develop. It was um, amazing. You know, I think Black Lives Matter really, Alicia Garza said the phrase and I put the hashtag on it and Opal Tometi came and helped develop the social media platforms to help make it go viral. Um, and then there was other groups like Black um, Black Youth Project 100, BYP 100, yeah. or the Dream Defenders who are already doing work on the ground and, and, and responding to the acquittal of George Zimmerman or the killing of Trayvon Martin. And then there was, you know, hundreds of black folks across the country who were galvanized by the hashtag and, and, and allowed it to go viral. But what's, what's key in this is that Alicia Opa and I were organizers, we're trained organizers. Yeah. And so part of the work was developing the, the global network, right? That went from a phrase to a hashtag to a political project to completely, an organization. Completely. And, and, and that was the thing that you, you had what many movements don't, but you immediately had a set of demands, a list of demands of what you wanted to achieve yes. and what you wanted, which is the problem a lot of the time with social media, politicized, a politicization. Yeah is that it's, it can be, this isn't acceptable, but no one's making clear grounds on here's what yeah. we want to do, here's yeah. the change that we need. Mm-hmm. And you guys brought that. You you came straight out with here's what isn't acceptable, here's the changes yeah. that we demand. So how was that to, to, to become a kind of a galvanizing force maybe for a lot of a lot of people who wanted to, to rally but didn't know how to rally or, 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 or direct their emotions? It was powerful. Um, I don't think... I was going to realize or any of us going to realize how big and how much we were going to be needed and how much we were going to be pulled on. Um, I'm, I'm a deep believer in, in uh, decentralized movements and autonomous movements. You know, our network is decentralized. We're autonomous. Um, we're local focused, but we our through line is that we're black folks fighting uh, for black people to actually matter. Yeah. Um, we're black folks fighting for us to stop being killed by the state. Yeah. Uh, we're black folks who are trying to see a future for our children yeah. and our children's children. And so Black Lives Matter becomes this place where 
you can uh, figure out how it's going to work in your own town. Yeah. And your own city, in your own province, in your own nation. Um, and that, uh, that felt necessary. I will say in this moment that uh, we've done this, you know, sort of loose autonomous thing for the last five years. And I think we're ready for a more organized network. Yeah. Um, more clarity on who gets to join and who doesn't. And our next steps, you know, we spent the last five years disrupting using civil disobedience as a tactic to challenge the status quo, challenge um, white supremacy, white nationalism. But I think we're ready to um, take on new subjects. Yeah, um, I think we're ready to uh, really delve into electoral politics. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't want to abandon protest, uh, but I think we're ready to um, see where else this this network can take us. Yeah, and that's absolutely key. The the um, the kind of t- taking more control over that organisation and, and 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 what it is, so that in so that you can have a driven direction and 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 aim, and also so that it's harder for people to disparage what you're doing and yeah. to say oh look these black lives matters people they're they're terrorists yeah. they're, they're 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 hooligans or whatever else it's kind of it the the more you're taking control over that the less you can people can say oh but all of this that happened is because of black lives matter mm. as well you can kind of go well no it's not that, mm. that isn't that isn't our area <laughs> you no know? that's a, that's absolutely right and yeah it's been a journey the last five years around i didn't i didn't think that you don't know what's going to happen. You just don't know what you don't know. Yeah, and of course. Black Lives Matter was an offering to our movement. And yeah. folks took it up and used it. And then I think we've seen it be co-opted sometimes or used in ways that we don't disagree. Or, uh, and that, uh, we, we know that our network has been and our movement has been infiltrated. So that becomes an interesting component Especially because that's not what I was prepared for, and I don't think we it's, we were collectively prepared for that. It's a tough one because people, even with the, the best intentions, are going to have different ideas of how to solve things. Yeah. I'm someone who who doesn't think that violence is the answer, but I also don't think that violence has never been the answer and is never the answer. There's yeah. so many civil uprisings and yeah. changes that have needed violence and bloodshed. Yeah. And to be clear, I'm not saying that we should all go and riot in the streets, but. There's there's points at everything, and if if some things aren't working, other things the answer. So it, it's a tough one from your angle because there will be people who go right. No, we need to go and smash up this or do this or that. It's like that's not what you believe in, but it's at points it's a it's a valid a reaction or intention. So yeah, it must be a tough one to balance that the yeah. the goals and desires of your vision, the way you, you guys have all set it out versus people who might want to take it on or have been inspired by it and take it in opposite that or different directions. Yeah, no, that's right. Um, so so I'll, I'll start t- t- to wrap things up now. Um, mm-hmm. One thing that I have to discuss, you know, it became a hobby of mine <laughs> to argue with people who were, had issue with the, the name Black Lives Matter. But I know there was tr- tr- trepidation um, at the start over it feeling exclusionary. Um, as a, as a name, for me again, it's it's 
it's a ludicrous one. Um, people would regularly respond with White Lives Matter too. And, you know, you have to kind of highlight that. What a blessed existence <laughs> that the first time you feel your life mattering is in question is when a hashtag is put out there right. on a tweet. <laughs> so that's a, that's a pretty blessed life yeah. if that's the first time you've yeah. had, had that question. Whereas if you've grown up constantly yes. having to question if your life matters, yeah. then that's, that's the bigger fight. This. As a, how was that? That kind of consideration at first of it feeling the risks of it be of feeling exclusionary, but then... I never felt that way, but we did get strong reactions from people inside our movement when we first started coming yeah. to them with, okay, so that we got this thing called Black Lives Matter, you in? People would be like, well, I don't know if we should be saying black a bit guys. Much. <laughs> that's exactly right. And I was surprised yeah. at the people who were like, that's a bit much. Yeah. And so, yeah, Black Lives Matter, we had to organize people around that. Yeah. Our own. Sometimes you got to organize the choir. Completely. And we got to, we had to organize the choir. And once the choir got on board, I think it really lifted up um, why Black Lives Matter was so important. But also, you know, different people try to use black, different people try to co-op Black Lives Matter. Yeah. Um, like Brown Lives Matter or Muslim Lives Matter or Trans Lives Matter. And we, we tried to say is, listen, like, we, yes, those things are true, but come up with your own thing mm. and let's have a conversation about the, the theft of black women's labor. Yeah. And why, why is it so hard to just have something for black people, right? Black Lives Matter is not about exclusion, the phrase. It's about focus. Completely, completely. And that's what's Im- important at the time. I remember, and I'm sure you've heard it a load of times, but I remember s- someone doing a post explaining it is it has, if you're at a dinner table, and everyone gets served food and you don't get served food and you go, I'm hungry. And the argument is, well, other people are hungry. Right. <laughs> it's like, that doesn't stop you being hungry. The issue at that moment is that you're hungry. Exactly. And that's the issue that, that, that needs focus. I think one of the greatest problems with so many movements at the moment is the interpretation in people deciding something is saying or want something that it's not, if that makes sense. And you have it in feminism a lot that people go, oh, I'm not a feminist because they right. want all men right. to be unemployed or some stupid <laughs> shit. It's like, no, they don't want that. And so black lives matters. Oh, so white lives don't. No, we've not said that. Right. We've said black lives do. We've not yeah. said anything other than right. this. And so you hate all police. It's like, yeah. we're not saying that, but yeah. you know, it's, it's these, these weird assumptions yes. that are put on that aren't put forward by the people who are part of the movement, Completely. Completely. put forward by people outside saying, so you think this then? No. <laughs> No, we don't think that. Is the argument over? Because you look really angry. How is that as a kind of, as, as, as a, I mean, it must be a constant battle with it being the name of your movement and the, the kind of action there. Yeah, it's a constant battle. But I also think what's been curious um, and, and what's been challenging uh, is that we've had people like right-wing pundits like Bill O'Reilly, who's not on air anymore, who chose to go after us yeah. and really and fan the flames. Exactly. Action, exactly. Yeah. So, so then this is like, sure, people have feelings about Black Lives Matter, but then you have very powerful people like a Bill O'Reilly who fan the flames mm. and create a, a, a narrative about us. That um, people won't look any further into. That's the big problem That's is the common sense or the, the common assumption that exactly. you've heard something, therefore 
I can now go. I'm I'm dying to get angry about exactly this. Right. I'm dying to be offended, and then yeah. <laughs> I run off on that. That's exactly right. So 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 I'll 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 round things up now with what is ahead because it is it is a strange one as we were discussing. I can't remember if it, if it was when we were recording or before we started, but it's 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 a long it's a long battle and a long journey and a long war, and that's something I think you've maybe had to resign yourself to early on that yes. this is a long-term thing. It's not a, there will be m- many battles won along the way yes. and many moments of achievement, but it's a long-term thing. And it, it seems a weird one to, to, to liken it to, but my mum recently retired and she worked in, in, in libraries her whole life. And particularly in this country, the battle to just keep libraries open yeah. is, is one that's just been going on for ages. Yeah. And, it was only a year or so ago. I kind of said to her, I was like, look, you've been fighting this for 30 years mm. now. Hand it over to someone else. Yes. It's not yours to fight anymore. Yes. You know, it's, it, it's not a battle that you're going to win. They're not going to, before you retire, go, okay, well, we've agreed we will never close libraries. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. it is one of them fights that is going to be ongoing, may outlive you, if that makes, makes oh, sense. So, and, and yes, and um, we are preparing to, to train the next generation of leaders yeah. so that we don't have a gap in leadership development around yeah. this movement. And I know, I know that most of the things that I'm fighting for aren't going to happen in my lifetime. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, 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 it's number one, the act of fighting for them is the important part. Yes. The winning in the end is important, but there's so many things that it's the act of standing up and going into that battle mm-hmm. is more important than simply if you're going to win or lose. A lot of people will argue, particularly in politics, oh, but they could never win or they could never get in. Yeah. And sometimes it's not about that. It's no. about the fact that that's what should be being stood for Precisely. and what should be being argued. That's exactly right. I wouldn't, if I, the clock were, you know, dialed back, I would not change, make it a hashtag five years ago. Yeah, yeah. Well, perfect. Well, thank you very much. Uh, where can people keep up to date on everything that you're doing and, um, and all that is ahead? Blacklivesmatter.com. I have my own website, patricecolors.com. And follow us at, uh, at BLK Lives Matter on Instagram and on Twitter. And I'm at O-S-O-P-E-P-A-T-R-I-S-S-E on Instagram and Twitter. Perfect. And so, I mean, I read your book, Oh, when they call you a terrorist, a Black Lives Matter memoir, from basically from from Christmas Eve to about January second or third, yeah. and it's it's kind of I can't urge people enough to go and read this because it's not the key part of the book is it's not simply for people who are on board with Black Lives Matter. Oh, yeah. It's for people who don't understand, yes. for people that are against it or question it yes. to get a full story. I think. Yeah. It's fine to be against something if you've got the full fucking story, <laughs> but if you're just going against it without the 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 without having done the legwork, then yeah. it's a it's a, a a senseless argument. So yeah. yeah, urge people to go and read that. And thank you very much for giving me your time. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Been listening to Scrooge Pitt's Discretion Piece. There we go. Um, 
I hope you enjoyed that. And I think a few of you will be surprised at what a warm and lovely person you just heard. Because, as I said, there is this image of of a militant approach and an anger and a and an aggression. But um, yeah, I think she's an amazing woman with a great a great outlook. Uh, one thing that um, I felt afterwards, because we were discussing as I was packing away one thing that I felt afterwards might not have come across too clearly was when she was saying about the slight annoyance of people taking the, the, on the black lives matter kind of uh, taking on the name and making it trans lives matter and brown lives matter and all these different things. It's not a pettiness of that's, that's our idea. It's, it's, it's a dilution. Um, and, uh, and it's diluting or it, it seems to put these things at odds, which they're not. The Black Lives Matter movement, if you read her book, was very much led by the LGBT community. Community. It was queer black women who were who were making this this stance and movement. So it's not an anti any of these things. It's just if you all start to take that, it starts to seem as if they're conflicting. So we say Black Lives Matter. Well, we say Brown Lives Matter. Well, we say. You know what I mean, and that's not the point of the black lives matter movement as you said it kind of almost becomes as as acidine as 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 all lives matter and that kind of thing so yeah i think that was the point there and i thought it'd be good to clarify that here because as said we i mean we only had an hour and we were trying to cram so much in it was like talk 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 let's move on to this let's move on to that so yeah it was more that and the idea that the the trans movement or the lgbt community in general need an equal amount of support and you know if you know anything about the history of of, of protest that you'll know that 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 when the lgbt community stood with the the miners striking in the uk it's what got the success it was these two completely different worlds but both who were being repressed who stood together but it was in support of a movement rather than it seeming like in conflict against a movement so yeah I wanted to clarify that to you, and I have done that now. I will be back next week. As said, we've got a hardcore listing special. It's a two-part. I'll put them out in the same day because um, it's a top five. So normally when there's a two-parter, I'll put them out on separate days or whatever, but it's a top five, and it's top five songs that make me cry. And by the end of the first half, we've started to weep a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I also drunk gin, you know, mother's a ruin. So I don't know. It felt like a really strong and important episode that it's three at times blokey blokes sitting in what literally is regularly described as a man cave, having a good cry and having no shame about it and sh- and s- kind of s- s- celebrating the idea of um, of sensitivity. So, yeah. That's a cool one. It's out next week. I might. I'm trying to secure a bonus one for the Friday because um, a friend of mine and a friend of the podcast has a film out that I think is one of the films of the year, and I want to just talk to him about it and support it. But we're trying to it's schedules. But the week after that, we'll definitely have Alan Hughes and Jimmy Iovine. And yeah, I've told you. I've told you all that's coming up. Also, the the club night. I got it's it's we are lizards month so um i'll be at the book club on the 31st of march we've got block party coming down to dj 
Um, I'll be DJing. We've actually grabbed an extra hour, so, so we'll be open till three, partying with you. Like, I'm always there from like eight o'clock. So the earlier you come down, the more I'll be happy to chat, have photos, sign stuff, kick it with you lot. The later you come down, the busier it gets, the more drunk I am, the more I'm kind of just up for putting on my rubber lizard mask and playing music to you. If you're new to this podcast or me, you should know that I DJ in a rubber lizard mask. So, But yeah, that's what's to come. The book club, We Are Lizards, March 31st come on down to that i'll see you all soon and there's a lot of podcasts to come so i'll see you all soon and uh have a good week hope you enjoyed this chat as i kind of had to put a thing or i'm going to put a thing on the social media posts about it requesting that people don't get into discussion until they've they've, they've listened to the podcast because it's it's one of those things that it's fine to have an opinion but it, it annoys me when people want to chime in on something before I'd have actually a, a, a listen to it. Debate should be as much about hearing and educating yourself as it is about spouting your own opinion. Um, Harlan Ellison said, uh, you are not entitled to your own opinion. You're entitled to your own informed opinion. No one is entitled to be ignorant. So that's kind of the theme on the, on the social media posts. Obviously, you're at the end of the podcast now you've had a listen feel free to go in and have a chat have a debate keep it friendly and keep it clean guys let's let's all be nice out there and yeah get the book or when they call you a terrorist a black lives matter memoir i'll see you all next week have a good one ta-ta